If you have your Bibles, open it to 1 John. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and they'll get you one. As we've been going through John's epistle, this small letter that he has written that we call 1 John, we've been looking at different areas where there are tests to see if the life of God is in us. We've talked about what that means, the life of God, that eternal life is something that is a quality and not just a quantitative as far as length. And that John is really trying to help us understand what it means to be alive in God. And we've talked about the necessity of having a posture towards love and not hate, of actually one of truth and not deception, about having one a life that is honest with our condition and open to God's remedy for our sin. And what sin was is not just a, not doing or doing things wrong, but it's failing to live the life that God has called us to live, that our lives were created with intention, with purpose. And if we fail to meet that purpose, we are sinning. And today we're going to be looking at how God wants us and how we are to live basically in this world. In chapter 2, starting at verse 15, it says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Now, I want to spend a little time and kind of look at what does John mean by do not love the world or anything in the world. Because I don't think John is telling us that we cannot love pizza. Or we cannot love... I said that for you, Michael. Uh, or that we cannot enjoy the beach or the sunsets or the beautiful things that creation has, that, that's not what John is trying to imply. He is trying to give us an understanding that I think is important for us to grasp because many times we have heard phrases like, not of this world, in the world, but not of this world. And we have this kind of concept, well, what does that mean? It sounds good, but what does it play out to? Or you hear terms like, well, that's very worldly, they're a worldly person. Well, aren't we all in the world? You could be very confused. I'm a worldly person. I'm an upland worldly person. You know, what, what does that mean? Because if we start thinking of it as being that we can't partake of anything in the world, I, I think we're missing the point entirely. In fact, we are told in the Psalms, in Psalm 19, Verses 1 through 4, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends 
of the world. So we see that the ends of the world declare the glory of God. So it's not that we can't see God and, and appreciate the things that he has created here in this world. That, that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is, is that there is a history that's being written and a future that is being created that is apart from God. There is a destiny that is being made that has not included God at all in it. That it's separate from God. Now, at the same time, there is a, a future that is engulfed in God, where God is at the center of this future. And so what we have here is a world that is living apart from God, that does not want to recognize God, does not acknowledge God, that wants to live apart from God, and you have a kingdom, a world that is living, pressing towards God, that is surrounded by God, that is enveloped in God, and they are existing together. And it's kind of these two parallel worlds that are here side by side. This isn't new. Fringe didn't come up with this idea. God had it long before Fringe. Does anyone watch Fringe? Yes. Okay. I had to make sure my illustration would have some relevance to someone. I love Fringe. I love this idea that there are two worlds that are existing side by side. And so there is a, a person in this parallel world and one that are basically different, but they're the same person. And I love that illustration because I, I think it applies so much to this case that there is a world that is moving forward that does not want anything to do with God. And right next to it, we are supposed to be living in this world, enveloped in God, living for God, and desiring God to be at work in our lives. You see, the problem, though, is if we are living here and having to, to deal with the issues that are in this world. When we moved to our house years ago, we were living with my mom, and we had the kids, we had the three boys, and we are moving here to Upland. She lives in Glendora. And I remember just waiting to get the house. Did it go through? Yes, the house finally went through. We finally got the keys. I was like ready to break into the house so I could start working on the house. You know, and so we finally got the keys. And I didn't, by the way. I didn't. Michael may have, but I didn't. And so I, I got the keys and I went in the house and then I started doing the painting and, and getting things ready. You know, we started wallpapering and we were like living in these two homes. I was like trying to get things ready over here so that we could actually live here. But at the same time, our bed was over here. And so you had to sleep over here. And then, you know, finally you start moving furniture. And when you're able to move the bed in, then you kind of say, okay, now this is home because this is where I sleep. Really, it's when you move the TV in, that's when you find out this is... <laughs> I didn't want to sound too shallow, but that's the truth, you know. Where, where can I watch my football? You know, it's like, now I know this is where I live because this is where the stuff is, and we've made the transition. And sometimes we have a hard time transitioning from this, this attitude in this world that is just living apart from God into this world that is wanting 
God to be central in it. And John basically tells us and, and leaves us this knowledge that you will know where you live by what you love. That if you love this world, then these things that are in the world are going to manifest themselves and be a part of your life. But if you love God, then the things of God are going to manifest themselves and be a part of your life. And a lot of people try, and maybe we're one of those people who try to live in both worlds. It's like, I want to believe in God, but I love some of the things that are separate from God, that don't want to acknowledge God. And so we try and do this little dance between the two worlds. And we find ourselves just estranged to both of them. We find ourselves distant. We find ourselves not really attached to God. We don't really love God the way we should. And we find ourselves distant in this world. It's uncomfortable. We're strangers here and it doesn't feel right. And that shouldn't be surprising. Jesus said you can't love two masters, that you will either love one and despise the other, you will cling to one and push the other away. You cannot love God and mammon or the material. And again, it's that which is without God. You can't love them both. Our, our devotion cannot be divided. But many times we try. Many times we try and divide that devotion. Well, I really like this. And I know that it's apart from God. I know that it doesn't acknowledge God. But you know what? I'm just used to it. It's been a part of my history. It's been a part of my life. It's been a part of what I've known. And then we have the recognition. But I know that God has a life for me to live. And so we get caught between these two and how we should live and what we should do and how that is to move forward. And we have to recognize that we become like what we love. That we will conform to one or the other. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12 that we would not be conform to this world, but we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we would change how we think, that our perception would change so that we would not become like this world. And again, when he talks about like this world, he's talking about living a life that is apart from God. Because God still loves the world, the people that are in the world. He so loved the world that he gave his son. And so we have to distinguish between what God loves the people and cares for and the world that wants to live without acknowledging God. And, and, and Paul tells us, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Change the way you think so now you are able to acknowledge God. And John is telling us that we are not to love this world or those things in the world that would try and separate us from this knowledge of who God is and what God does. You know, it's amazing how things try to conform us. And it doesn't matter if it's religion, if it's politics, if it's music, if it's sports. Everything tries to conform us. 
If you join a certain church group, you might have to dress a certain way. You might develop your own language. If you're in a political group, you have to think a certain way. You know, have you ever been a group where you're the only Democrat in a room full of Republicans? Boy, you feel pretty soon like, boy, I'm the oddball here. I I don't know what's going on or vice versa. If you're the only Republican in a room full of liberal Democrats, they look at you as like, you just don't know. You're not intelligent enough to understand the things that we're thinking. And it happens in, in every circle that you develop this group, you kind of gravitate to these things. Happens a lot in high school. You can see these things taking place in high school by the way they dress. They all, the ones who want to dress this way, they all kind of hang out and have this style. Whether it's goth or whatever other styles there are out there. I haven't been on top of the fashion world lately. But you usually gravitate to the people you feel comfortable with. Same thing with music. Get a bunch of guys who are headbangers, and what happens when the country station comes on? Oh, that's so stupid. Oh, I hate country music. They say it just like that. (laughs) And then you get someone who likes country music, and then, you know, the screamo comes on, and they're like, oh, that's so stupid. And and they say it just like that. And we gravitate, and pretty soon you have your little clique and your little club. And it really doesn't matter if you're in a group that is filled with devout atheists. If you are not along that group, you will feel ousted, and you will feel like you don't belong, and the same thing as if you're in a group of evangelical Christians, and you're an atheist, and you come in, you will feel like you don't belong here, I I don't fit. We have this ability to conform and gravitate to these things that we like. Even happens in sports. You know, there's Laker fans and there's Clipper fans. Well, maybe not. Maybe that one's a matter of intelligence. But, (laughs) you know, just recently at the Dodger game, a giant fan was critically injured over a baseball game. We have this tendency to want to conform everyone, and if you're on the outside, you get looked at with hostility. And what John is telling us here is if we love the world, we will start becoming like the world. And a world that does not acknowledge God is something that is going to affect our lives. And it will change who we are. When I was in junior high school, I was in the ninth grade. Our junior high went seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. And so it was, I guess, the senior of the ninth grade. And my life was kind of in turmoil at that time. I had been involved with sports for many years, but then I had also gotten involved with drugs. And so at ninth grade, I was kind of involved with everything. And so I'd go to the park and I'd play baseball. I still like baseball, and I hung out with some of the jocks. And I liked it, you know, the times lunch, we'd play sports, basketball, do all these things. So I'd be in there with the sports guys, but then I also liked to party, and so I would get stoned. And so I 
hung out with the stoners. That's what they were called. You know, and so you're hanging out with these guys. We didn't move a lot over there, you know. We just <laughs> kind of hung out over there and talked with these guys and just chilled with them. And then I was into Kung Fu. And so I hung out with the Vietnamese guys. I know Kung Fu is Chinese, but I was also with the stoner guys. So, you know, I didn't understand the difference, but I'd, I would hang out with these guys and practice martial arts with these guys. And so I was with all these different groups of people, and I was voted the most popular in the ninth grade in our yearbook. I was really the most confused. <laughs> I didn't know where I belonged, and I tried to be a little part of everything, and I would be with these guys, yeah, yeah, was, yeah, oh, yeah. did you see that game? Oh, yeah, the game was, hey, dude, how's it going, you know? <laughs> and then, nihao, you know, it's like, oh, you know, I just, I... <laughs> trying to work all these things in in my life and I was just really trying to find out who I was and every group I went to I'd start to get this identity and I really was one confused person I probably shouldn't tell you all this but John tells us stop loving this world love God instead the world is a cruel mistress You will love, and you will love, and you will get no love in return. Have you ever known someone who loved somebody who didn't love them back? Is there anything worse? Maybe you've been in that situation. Where you give of yourself, you give of yourself, but you, you get nothing back. There is no response how many people ha have given themselves to something that has destroyed them because they loved it and they went after it and it was bad for them? How many people have desired things, people, have given themselves in pursuit of it and it has laid waste to their lives? Relationships status and we have to be careful what we love some people love fame some people love success some people love pleasure and what does it bring in return how many times do we you know have the Martin Sheen syndrome someone who's successful and crazy I'm a winner Charlie, uh, Charlie Sheen, sorry. Sorry, Martin. <laughs> I mean, it happens all the time in that realm, those people who have success and find that, you know, what does it mean? And so their success, I can pursue this, I can I gain this, I can gain, you know, the status, I can gain the reputation. Reputation, I can get the stuff, I can get the cars, I can get the houses, I can get the, the men or the women, I can get the things that I want, but I lose them because what does it matter if it means nothing? If it does not satisfy, it's an empty, it's a black hole in our lives that we just try and fill, we try and fill, we try and fill, and, and it never is filled. And I, I think so many people have destroyed themselves 
pursuing, loving things of the world. Things that are separated from God that will not give back anything of value to their lives. And it's tragic. And he talks about what some of these symptoms are. He says, first of all, that if we love the world, then it's going to negate the love of the Father. If you're pursuing a life without God, you're negating the life with God. And it's not difficult to understand. This is two contradictions can't live side by side. You can't say, I want a life without God, but I want God at the same time. It's not going to work. And so they will counsel each other out. If you're pursuing this world and what it can offer you apart from God, you will not have the love of God in you. And, and what is in the world? Everything in the world, verse 16, he says, the cravings of sinful man. Some translation, it'll say the lust of the flesh. It, it means that you choose immorality over intimacy. You use people rather than loving people. You see, the cravings of the sinful desire are the things that just satisfy me. It's about getting, not about giving. The lust of the flesh is, again, pursuing not the depth of a relationship, but just the satisfaction a relationship can give to you. goes on and he says... The lust of the eyes. And the lust of the eyes is just a life that is fueled by greed and envy. A life that is always wanting more. And it doesn't matter what you have, you need something else. Have you ever noticed when you, you buy a new automobile or you get a car, even if it's a used car, all of a sudden, you become aware of all those cars out on the road. So if you get a Toyota Camry, you know, all of a sudden, you see all the Toyota Camrys that are your year. And then they come out with the new model. They do that on purpose. It's got slight variation. It looks a little sleeker. It's got a little bigger engine. has more technology inside. Pretty soon your Camry isn't as nice as the new one. And you want the new one. Why? Because I see it and I like it. And I, I'm so guilty of this. If there's anything new, gadgets, phones, I, I love technology. And when I got my phone, I, I was so happy to get rid of my touchscreen phone because it was driving me crazy. I needed the buttons and so I got my new phone, and right after I got my new phone, locked into this contract for two years, and about a month later, they came out with this phone that was both touchscreen and had the buttons. <laughs> Best of both worlds, and I was stuck for two years. One year, seven months now. <laughs> The lust of the eyes, wanting those things. You, you want and you're never satisfied. You see, and instead of being generous, we're greedy. Instead of wanting to give, we just want to get. That's the lust of the eyes. 
And then the last thing he mentions is the boasting of what he has and does, or the pride of life. And this basically is confusion about who you are and who God is. Believing that the world revolves around you, and instead of recognizing that you have been given a gift of life by God, you think of everything that is supposed to be for you. The pride of life just exalts yourself above God. It now is about me. It's not about God. It's about what I'm supposed to get. And and don't be confused. These things can take place in the church. There are people who are in the church who think, what is God supposed to do for me? It's still about me. They just throw God in the equation. And they're still greedy. They're still self-centered. They're still prideful. But they do it in the name of God. And, And so... It's not like, well, if you go to church, you're immune to all these things. You, the reason John is writing this is because this is issues. These are issues that we have. And he's trying to help us. He's trying to show us that if you love the world, then the love of the Father cannot be in you. Because what is in the world is this desire to satisfy the flesh this desire to get for yourself, this desire to exalt yourself above others, that's what the world has. That's this universe and where it's going. That's the life apart from God, that survival of the fittest mentality where we are just in this for ourselves. He who dies with the most toys wins. And if you live that way, the love of God will not be in you. And so John is warning us, believers, don't love the world. And you see, the problem is we like to dip our feet into the world every now and then. We like to satisfy our desires. We like to look out for ourselves. We like to think of ourselves and exalt ourselves in different ways. We we play and flirt with the world many times. And and so what are we supposed to do? Well, Well, Jesus spoke about this, and it almost seems like John is talking about some of what Jesus spoke about. If you turn to John chapter 17... starting at verse 13. Jesus is praying, and again, this prayer is is for our benefit. He's saying to his Father, I am coming to you, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they, his disciples, may have the full measure of my joy with them. In other words, I want the joy that I have to be in this. That's why I'm saying these things. What is he saying? Verse 14, I have given them your word, and the, word has, the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. 
They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify or separate them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. And so this is an amazing thing because Jesus is praying to God and he's saying, God, I want you to separate them. I'm praying for them that the joy that I have can be in them. And then as soon as he says the joy that I have, I want to be in them, he says, don't take them out of the world. How many times has it been this idea, and we have it, whether it's, you know, priests going off to a monastery or we're going to separate ourselves and have our own little community. You know, we only shop at the Christian stores and we only do these things. How many times do we try and distance ourselves from the world thinking that's what God wants us to do? And Jesus' prayer is, don't take them out of the world. Instead, protect them from the evil one. I want you to live in this world right side by side with this attitude and this mind that is hostile towards God, that wants nothing to do with God. I want you to live in this world and I want you to be the evidence of God in the midst of this world. And so he's not trying to pull us out of the world. And this is where we get so many people that I think get confused And what we want to do and how we want to present ourselves as followers of Jesus. Because we distance ourselves in such a way that we don't want to actually have any effect on the world that we're living in. Think about it. We have our own music. By the way, that's one of my pet peeves. There's no such thing as Christian music. There's no such thing as Christian clothing. There's no such thing as Christian bookstores. The word Christian means little Christ. Music cannot be like Jesus. Books cannot be like Jesus. Only people can be like Jesus. We have music that might bring honor to Christ or glorify Christ, but the idea of identity belongs to us. Only people can be Christian. Now, I know the term is out there. I say it too. Go to the Christian bookstore because that's what it's known. But I want there to be clarity of what it means to be a follower of Christ. It means to represent Jesus. And that's exactly what he's talking about here. That we would be like he was in this world. But now we have our own Christian radio stations. What does that tell people? What would you do if you heard, you know, yes, listen to, you know, K Menorah, the latest, you know, Jewish hits? <laughs> what would you think? You might think, oh, great, they have their own station, and you'd also probably think, but that's not for me. That's theirs. And so much of what we've done is just that. That's theirs. That belongs to them. We're separate. And we've missed the point of what it means to not be of this world. And we're separating ourselves in ways that distance our usefulness in this world. See, Jesus prayed, don't take them out. 
just keep them from being polluted by the world. Xavier, my pastor, used to always say, the boat belongs in the water. It's when the water gets in the boat that you got a problem. We belong in this world. We are to have influence in this world. It's when the ideas and this godless attitude becomes a part of our life that there becomes the problem. And that's where we have to live. And John isn't saying, get out of the world, don't have anything to do with the world. He just says, don't love the world or the things in the world. Because if you do, the love of the Father will not be in you. And then he goes on and he says, back in 1 John, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the cravings of man are not of God, but of this world. And the world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. The desires of this world will not last. But the one who does the will of God, they abide, they will live forever. And once again, we come to this word, forever is not the future. Forever is is as much the past as it is the future. Forever is the life that God has. It is eternal. It always was. It always is. It always will be. It is a quality of life that is different. And if you want the things of this world, if you are seeking to satisfy and gratify yourself, those desires will not last. They will fade. But the things that God does, they can abide forever. I was thinking about people who we admire, who have made a difference in the world. In every arena of life, they are people who have stayed and engaged themselves. It could be anything from Nelson Mandela, Mother Teresa, Amy Carmichael, William Wallace, Braveheart, Even Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who fled Germany and was free of Germany, but went back because he wanted to make a difference. And and these people who we admire, these people who have made changes in our world, are people who've decided, I'm going to stay in this place that needs help. I'm going to engage myself in this area and make a difference. They weren't people who just left. They were people who remained in that area, which is just what Jesus prayed. Father, I pray that they stay in this world, that they be engaged with this that's going on around them, but protect them from the evil. Don't let them be polluted. Help them not to love this world. And you see, the love of the world is always pulling at us. It's always drawing us. I, I remember so many times when we'd go down to the beach and we'd be, you know, body surfing. And I loved the water. When I was a kid, I'd just stay until I was a prune. You know, I'd be all shriveled up. I would just stay in the water until I couldn't 
they'd call me in. I just loved being in the water. Especially when the waves were really big and you'd go out there in the water and you'd be swimming and, you know, oh, getting the waves and, oh, it's the greatest thing. And then you'd look up, you know, you were at Lifeguard Station 15 and then pretty soon you look up and you're at 21. What happened? You didn't realize it. It, it. I never thought I was moving. I just kept taking the waves in. But then you start getting sucked out and drawn down and you get this riptide or an undertow. And who knows what that really is. It just sounds like a word. You know, I, I don't see an undertow. I must be okay. You just kind of keep going. And then those, the dreadful time is when you're out swimming and you're out pretty far and you think, well, I'm out pretty far, but it's okay. That's where the good waves are. And then pretty soon it's like, well, I better go in. And it's like, oh, this is kind of hard to get in, you know. And you don't want to look like, then you see the dreaded thing, the lifeguard stands up and looks at you. It's like, oh. And so you try and make it look like you're casually swimming back in, you know, because you don't want to look like you're in trouble, you know. You just want to get there and then, you know, finally the lifeguard comes jumping out and he's like, no, I'm okay. You know, and you're swimming as hard as you can underwater trying to make it look like you're not flailing and going crazy. And then this guy who's all tan, blonde hair and washboard stomach comes by you. <laughs> Says, hey, do you need any help? And he knows the routine. You always say, no, I'm okay. And he goes, okay, well, here, just grab this anyway, you liar. Uh, you know, and you grab on this. And then he's got his little flippers on, and he, you know, wheels you into shore. And then you are there, humiliated on the beach. Everyone looks at you. Yeah, you had to be rescued, you know. You don't know how to swim. <laughs> and there you're standing next to the specimen of a human, and you're like, oh, okay, thank you, you know. But at least you're at lifeguard station 22, and your family's down at 15. They don't see... <laughs> The humiliation. See, but what has happened is you, you've drifted and you got caught up and you, you didn't even know it. And, and I, don't think we, I don't think we wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to be an evil person today. I don't think anyone wakes up and says, I'm going to be an awful husband. No one wakes up and says, you know, I'm going to make a decision today that is going to be stupid and devastate my life and dreams forever. No one just wakes up and says that. But what happens is we get swept up in this thinking and this love for ourselves and this lust for the things that we can have and this greedy desire for our own lives. It just starts becoming a part of us and we start drifting and we start drifting, and we don't realize where we've drifted to. And pretty soon, the things of this world have become something that have captured our hearts and our affection, and we love this world. And then we make the decisions that are devastating to our lives. And we don't realize what we need is to humble ourselves and be rescued to be brought out of the shore and to be brought into this life that is eternal. And so John is telling us, don't love the world or the things that are in the world. For all that is in this world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has does not come from the Father, but from the world. The world, he's, he's letting us know, the world and its desires, they pass away doesn't matter how much money, how fame, the pleasure. It doesn't matter. It passes away. 
Those things that you do to satisfy self, one day they will not satisfy at all. But the person who does the will of God enters into this life that is forever. And so John is giving us a test. Do you love the world? Or is the love of the Father in you? Because one won't satisfy, the other will. And it goes on forever. Let's pray. God, it's our tendency to try and point out what those things of the world are. And we like to put labels on things. We'll label music. We'll label styles of clothing. We'll, we'll label things thinking that's what it is. That's the world. But really, God, what, what needs to take place is we need to be careful of our hearts. Because there are people who give themselves to this world they don't seem like evil things. They might not be blatant. But they are nonetheless living a life without you. Desiring to move forward without you. And whatever those things are, God, how they affect us, those cravings that we have, those things that we desire, and how we see ourselves. Father, if we don't see ourselves in the light of you and needing to be rescued, needing to, to love you and not the things of this world, if we don't recognize that, God, we will find ourselves desiring more, empty, broken, abused because this world does not love us in return. This world does not care about us. This world is cold and heartless apart from you. And may we see, Father, the difference and may we love you. May we recognize the pool and may we keep our focus on you so that we do not drift away and get caught up into so many things that would lure us. Jesus, you prayed that we would be in this world and we would make a difference, that we'd be set apart for you in the midst of this world. May we not leave, may we not check out, may we not try and take the easy way out. May we engage ourselves with those around us. May we see our place. And in the middle of those who are trying to live a life without you, may we be that city on a hill, that light that cannot be hidden, that points to you and give evidence that love is real, that God is real, that there is a life that is forever that cannot be taken away. Father, may we represent you effectively, even as you prayed. We recognize these things and the necessity to love you and not the world or these things. And so we give ourselves to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.